You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Webcology starts now only on Cranberry Radio. Welcome to Webcology. Webcology is the show that takes you into the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Our guides will take you on a journey into web marketing and bring you the experts and the information so that you can further explore the web marketing world. Now, here are the hosts of Webcology Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey everyone, welcome to Web College here on Cranberry.fm. It is the 3rd of August, 2017. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing, and uh, we're in for a treat today. We're joined by uh, Cindy Crum and um, Emily Grossman from... Uh, Mobile Moxie. Thank you. I'm trying to envision the t-shirt I have in my mind. I, just, I, just, I blanked it for a second. From Mobile Moxie. Um, they're coming fresh from uh, Cindy's appearance at MozCon two weeks ago. Um, and, you know, coming on the heels of a whole bunch of, um, I don't know, I guess announcements and, uh, and, and, and uh, changes that are coming, driven primarily by Google's uh, drive towards the, 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 the mobile first index. Uh, they're going to be coming on a little bit later in the show um, after our first segment. Um, Dave, how you doing this week, man? I am doing fantastic. I know I've been excited about this show. Like, like I, I was at MozCon and was watching. I was like, okay, got Avron. Emily's always like, she's super bright too. So like, I was first like I was watching Cindy speak because she was speaking. I'm like, oh, you need to have her on. And then you know, Emily was there too. A chat with her. She's always super bright. So it's just like, yeah, get them both on tag teaming. This is gonna be awesome. It is. I'm. I'm. I'll always look forward to to speaking with Cindy and Emily. Indeed. But we've got a bit of news to cover, and this time we only have like 15, 20 minutes to do it in. Yes, we've got to seriously prioritize stuff. <laughs> um, you know, we may as well focus, narrow our focus in on the mobile index and, and steps Google's taking towards mobile index. Because, you know, when I, when I look through our, our, our news story choices today, except for the public service announcement that uh, web develop, the web developer toolbar for Chrome has been hacked. If you are running a version um, later than, or earlier, I'm sorry, earlier than uh, 0.5, update that bastard now. Mm-hmm. Aside from that, pretty much <laughs> everything uh, moves towards mobile somehow or another. I know. 
I know. Um, yeah, where, where do you want to begin? I mean, there, there are so many stories. Um, we can start with the routine, like, instant. Well, let's start, or, yeah, let's start easy. How about Google has, uh, you know, dropped instant search? That's, that's a good, easy place to start. Yep. Remember back in 2010, uh, Google, Versa uh, uh, Mayer was the um, trendsetter, the taste taste maker at Google. Anything mm. that was going to happen on Google's site or in Google's search results had to go through um, Marissa Mayer. And she was uncannily good at this. Um, she introduced something called instant search, where Google would sort of complete search results on the fly. So you're typing like the words instant search. And as you type the word instant, I guess it would fill in for like oatmeal or something, right? <laughs> the most searched yep. phrase under the word instant, aside from perhaps gratification. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't happen anymore. Google, now that more than 50% of uh, all searches conducted at Google are done from mobile devices, and, you know, just from a bandwidth point of view, it doesn't make sense to do this. Google doesn't have the, like, uh, uh, instant complete anymore. I know. At first I was like, oh, that's sort of like the end of Marissa there, right? Like, that was kind of the last thing she'd spearheaded in there, um, you know, that, that remained... Um, but yeah, I think it is, it, it's funny. It, it's one of those things. And, you know, we, we mock Google for a lot of like failures, right? Like they, they have a lot of success. We talk about those too, but there's been a lot of things that they've kind of screwed up over the years and get pulled out. This one, I think just had its day. It was, it was great when it happened. Um, you know, it, it, it held its own well. Um, you know, I don't, I didn't use it a ton, obviously. I don't know if you did. Um, but you know, it, it is time to close because, you're right. They don't have bandwidth. Like that takes a lot of, you know, power. Well, yeah, how long to, does it take do. your phone window to your, your, your phone screen to refresh itself? Right. Well, exactly. And each time you're changing, they're having to like update what result they're looking at. As soon as you hit space and start a new character, they need to start filtering and, and doing that sort of stuff. I think it's also a sign on their end of confidence, right? Like the, the goal is, and Will Reynolds mentioned this and it, you know, at MozCon as well, I'm sure he's mentioned it hundreds of times, but that's where I saw him is you know, Google's getting really good. And the question he was asking, I think I mentioned it last week is if they're only going to give one answer, if they're only going to give the best answer, are you that answer? And I think their confidence in being able to give the best answer, we can debate whether they are or not, but I think their confidence rightfully or not, we can debate, (laughs) but their confidence is high. So yeah, why are they showing instant results if they're getting more and more confident that they can predict what you want um, and just show (laughs) you that instead? So um, you want pablum. We know this for a fact. You, you, you prove it over and over again. <laughs> so we're just going to give it to you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, uh, there, there's, a, there's a few things to play. I'm glad it's, you know, sort of gone. I mean, not in a bay. It didn't bother me that it was there. But, you know, yeah, it, it had its day. It's done. Um, hopefully they got a lot of interesting data out of it. Well, yeah, indeed. I wonder about, you know, I don't, I don't want to beat this dead cow too badly. But I you know, beat this dead horse too badly. But I'm wondering what kind of data they actually got out of it. Because would you, if it's like, again, you're looking for, um, you know, instant search and instant oatmeal comes up. Are you actually going to stop searching? <laughs> like for, right. for, for what you're really looking for? Right. Well, and that's, that's a good question. And of course, you're not going to. Right? Or you might get distracted. <laughs> that's happened to me on stuff like that where I'm like, Oh, I wonder what's there. And then like half an hour later, you're coming back. That's the bane of my existence anytime I'm on Reddit too. So <laughs> you go in for one thing and half an hour later, an hour later, find out, oh, right. I forgot to actually do that thing I was here for. Back in the days before Facebook's kids, that used to be called web surfing. 
<laughs> um, okay, moving along. We're, we're going to take a break in like 10 minutes, but then we'll be coming back with uh, Cindy Crum and Emily Grossman. Um, did you see the article in uh, Search Engine Journal? It was uh, written by Winston Burton, um, works at Acronym Media with, uh, with, with Mike Grehan, um, on machine, machine learning, um, how it's changing SEO and how SEOs are, are likely going to be adapting. I did. I did. Um, a really interesting piece in my, like I, as we all do, and that makes a great opinion piece because that's what this sort of is. I mean, there's, yeah. there's some good data in there, but it's an opinion piece. Um, and there's a lot of stuff I agree with, a lot of stuff I don't. I think he gave some great, like anybody who doesn't quite understand machine learning or if you're having problems understanding its impact, yeah, head over to Search Engine Journal. It's, it's definitely a worthwhile read. Um, and then there's stuff, and I'm going to be talking to Cindy about this later. There's stuff that I, I inherently disagree with um, in the piece, which again makes it makes for a great one, right? Like, like I love opinion pieces where I disagree with stuff because then I can start thinking about why. Um, and when he was talking about technical SEO um, it. and it becoming less important, <laughs> you knew exactly where I was going. And it's funny because I actually just wrote a, an article on machine learning as well, talking about technical SEO and the importance of technical SEO. Um, in a machine learning world, but I, you know what, I'm going to save that because I'm going to ask Cindy some questions. I'm not going to talk about what I was writing about. I'm going to be asking Cindy some sort of leading questions to figure out, am I right or do I need a rewrite um, coming up right now? We're going to have to leave that entire vein of, um, of conversation until, until Cindy comes on because I got my opinions in there as well, eh? Yeah, I know, I know, and both of us could probably go on, you know what, we could kill an entire show talking about this, and then we'd want to, you know, bring on you know, Cindy and then, uh, you know, bring on a few other Eric Enge and stuff. <laughs> just, just go nuts for, for a week of, of straight radio. But um, yeah, we'll, cool we'll leave for now. About, one of the cool things about our industry is how we've developed this knowledge base that's sort of come from conversation, debate, and then, you know, the, the going out and gathering of actual empirical evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, debating the hell out of that evidence, uh, whether that evidence is valid or not, or whether the person who went and gathered it knew what the hell they were doing in the first place. <laughs> I know. But, and then all you get from Google is, and is this right? Fred, what? Are you kidding? <laughs> That's a one word answer or something, right? Like you never really get a clear answer from them. But there we go. The, the important point, though, is Winston, uh, Winston Burt has written a piece that gives us sort of like a... Um, a place to begin a conversation from. And it's something I think that anybody who's, who's an SEO now should read. Um, yeah, there's a couple of problematic areas. Certainly, I, I agree with you, Dave. Um, and I, again, I think we're going to be, we're going to be um, break, breaking some of those areas down later on in the show. But reading pieces like this, it gives you the background to actually have the intelligent conversation you need to have to like, you know, figure out where how you're moving forward in this industry, eh? It really, really does. And, and again, for our listeners who, who haven't listened, pop over, read it. Um, and if you read only one piece, and this is just you know my opinion on the piece, and Jim, I'm interested in yours, but uh, one, one of the things that bothers me is that uh, we're constantly hearing AI and machine learning used basically as synonyms of each other. And he almost starts it going, mm-hmm. here's what each one is. He doesn't really get into why they're different because he just defines what they are. And it's an important, important distinction that we're not talking about one when we're talking about the other. I mean, I guess sort of you are. It's like all things that are AI, I guess, include machine learning, but not all (laughs) things that are machine learning, you know, are AI, right? So it's kind of like a a worldwide web slash Internet sort of thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great analogy. 
the World Wide Web runs on the Internet, but the World Wide Web in and of itself is not the Internet, much like Facebook is not the web. Right. The Internet itself is a bunch of duct tape and nerds holding cables. Yeah. <laughs> and good wishes. Cables and good wishes. That's the Internet. <laughs> we all agree it should work this way, and uh, for some insane reason, it does. <laughs> I know. No, seriously. I mean, like, like honestly, they, there's, 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 there's an agreement amongst countries on Earth that we should have a global network, and so we do. Like that's that's it. That's what holds it together. Yeah. No, I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> it blows my mind how how uh, fragile it is. Yeah. Very true. Uh, Unfortunately, we don't have a uh, net neutrality story following this one up. Yeah, I know. I know. I knew that's where you were going to go. Um, one I'll talk about, and I just remembered it, and I just fired it into our chat, so you may not have seen this yet because I just fired it in there. But really good news, and it's funny. I thought of it for me, and then it was actually built as an accessibility. Um, and I haven't had a chance to download and, and play around with the new um, previews of, of, you know, I'm one of the sort of on the beta list of, of the new Windows versions, but I haven't wanted to sacrifice my machine or set up a second one yet to play with the new one. But one of the neat things that they're adding in, and it's in the, it's in the current preview, um, is eye tracking. Um, but not eye tracking like, hey, we're testing websites, but eye tracking so that somebody who was, say, disabled um, can actually just stare at a spot on a screen and then a keyboard will appear and then they can stare at individual keys and it will be picking up what's going on like on a, on a, on a, a screen, yeah. sort of on a keyboard on their screen. And it's sad. I mean, it's more complicated than I'm talking about. So, but it'll actually allow these people to use a, a, a keyboard and a monitor in the way that, that you or I would. So um, your, your, your eye or your focal point becomes the input device. Indeed, indeed. And they're carrying it forward. Like it has a lot of uses for that are unrelated to accessibility, uh, you know, scoping in if you're doing online gaming and immediately targeting in on what you're looking at, right? For somebody like me with multiple monitors and probably most of our listening audience, it's always bothered me that I got to drag my mouse over when I'm copying and pasting. It's not understanding I'm looking over there. So copy that while I'm over here. Now it'll be able to do that. Um, so there's a lot of sort of just uses that say you or I would, would use with it. Uh, but it's on the accessibility front that I'm like, okay, this opens up so many doors for a lot of people that haven't been able to, they can still use computers obviously, but not in the same way. And it, it's going to sort of unlock a bunch of accesses to the internet and, and to computers that I think weren't there before for them. And it, it, it really just opened up the world of, of information for the rest of us as well. Well, well, indeed. I mean, like, you know, I always, I always said the most valuable course I ever took in a high school was, was grade nine typing. Because <laughs> that allowed me to use the internet at, at a speed faster than most people. I'm, a, I'm an amazing typist. I type, I type over 100 words a minute. Because I started using computers um, when mice were still old and clunky and crappy-like, I know keyboard <laughs> commands. Right? I, and I prefer using them over, over mouse command. Right. So I've been able to access the internet and been able to move at lightning speed, which has given me a serious advantage throughout my entire career. <laughs> this is the same sort of thing for somebody who who has a mobility impairment of some sort or another. Suddenly, the internet is accessible to them at at, at a speed that makes it really useful. Yeah. Well, and part of the thing I don't know we won't we we have to short short out pretty quick, but I'm excited by this. Um, is it's going to recognize like you would with with hand patterns on a on a small keyboard, like on a 
on a, on a mobile keyboard, right? Where you just have to kind of get where it needs to go. Basically, what you'll have to do is look at the first letter quickly or for, for uh, quickly, but for like a slight delay. So it knows that's the first letter of a word and then just scan your eye around the pattern and it'll pick up the word you meant to say. So it'll sure. almost move somebody who couldn't use a keyboard to a level of speed on a keyboard that that somebody who can use a keyboard would have. So yeah, and 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 it's something it's something that that this group of people have never up up until this point haven't had an access to. So just wait to see where their imaginations take them because they're, they're now they actually have a vehicle to you know allow them to translate that into into something that you know everybody can 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 understand and enjoy. Exactly, exactly, like and maybe enjoy some gaming now. Now I'll have more people first person shooting at me. Indeed. <laughs> Okay, and on that scary note, we uh, we should take a break uh, here on, on Webcology and Cranberry.fm, but stick around. We have uh, Cindy Crum and Emily Grossman from Mobile Moxie coming up, uh, fresh, from, fresh from MozCon a couple of weeks ago. Um, on behalf of Dave Davies from Beatstock and Dan Martin, who's Jim Hedger, did always media, you're listening to Webcology on Cranberry.fm on the 3rd of August, 2017. Stick around. We're back after these messages. <laughs> Tight and don't move. Webcology will be back after this short break. Are you looking for the best in WordPress speed, security, and scalability? WP Engine is a digital experience platform for WordPress, powering digital experiences for large brands around the world. With easy-to-use site management tools and powerful do-it-your-way development features, WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. Learn more on WPEngine.com. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for eBrands. Looking for a better way to get more traffic and interaction to your Facebook page? Imagine Facebook interactivity on your page like you've never seen. Introducing your new Facebook marketing fix, So Social, the new and revolutionary way to easily manage and automate your Facebook contest and sweepstakes. Create a fun, easy-to-win contest by writing a simple Facebook post. Watch your post go more viral and generate loads of interaction. Track your traffic and generate email lists with ease. So Social is mobile-friendly and complies with Facebook terms of service. Let So Social give your Facebook page some flash today. Zoom over to zosocial.com. How much are your best ideas worth? PriorThings.com gives you an added layer of protection for all of your intellectual property, ideas, and creative things. New business idea, pitch deck, PowerPoint presentation, song lyrics, source code, killer blog posts. We help you protect it all. How do we do it? We use the same technology platform that secures transactions for Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Learn more at PriorThings.com. Check out exclusive listener pricing for Cranberry Radio listeners by going to bit.ly slash Founders Circle. 
where affiliate marketing gets its buzz and mobile has its presence. Cranberry Radio, online anytime at cranberry.fm. Webcology takes you to the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey everyone, welcome back to Webcology here on Cranberry.fm. It's like the 3rd of August 2017. Friends, summer's almost gone. Get out there and enjoy it while you can. After the show, of course, because... Sitting over there on the other side of our virtual studio, we have Cindy Crum and Emily Grossman from Mobile Moxie. Um, as I was saying before, fresh from MozCon. Well, at least fresh two weeks ago from MozCon. Um, Cindy and Emily, welcome back. Thanks. It's wonderful having you two here. Um, I wish I could have seen you in MozCon, but... Um, we're we're, we're, we're going to try to keep this to a technical conversation. It will likely fall over into politics, as such things do these days. It's a cross-border conversation. These things happen. And I have a hard time crossing the border. I'd like to have been mm-hmm. at MozCon, but unfortunately, it's in a city in a uh, place I'm trying not to go right now. So it's not that you legally can't go? No, no, no. They, they welcome you with open arms, apparently. Um, and and totally open and totally open cell phones. <laughs> as long as you bring the poutine, we're okay with the Canadians. Well, I mean, y'all should more than yours. <laughs> so we're, but we really, honestly, we we really should spend a whole bunch of time talking mobile because that's what people listen to the show for. Um. How was MozCon? It was fantastic. You were missed. Oh, and, and I miss, I so badly miss all of you. Um, when you were going to MozCon this year, what were you thinking that, that people needed to know? Well, so the idea was to get people ready for the mobile first indexing uh, update that Google's announced and been talking about for a while. And I felt like I actually got, had a fake news slide. I said, this is all fake news. Um, <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't just Gary. It was. I talked about um, how mobile first indexing is different from mobile first design because I feel like a lot of SEOs are talking about mobile first indexing as if it was the same as the mobile friendly update. Like, oh, you just need to make sure that all your content's available on mobile and that it looks good and works and is sized properly. And that's. I believe that's, that's not true. Well, that's important, but that's been important. That's not the new part. The new part is the indexing part. Google doesn't throw out around the word indexing willy nilly. Uh, indexing is architecture. Indexing isn't uh, a ranking per se. It's how how is the architecture working? Okay. So, I'm gonna. I'm going to jump in because you, you left me just a great segue. Sorry, Jim, to just jump in there. Uh, <laughs> one of the terms that was brought up, and I don't even know which of the two of you this one's for, so I'm just going to leave it wide open. Uh, but one of the terms you brought up that I thought was absolutely brilliant um, is you were talking about mobile-first indexing, and that's what we keep calling it. But then you referred to 
portable first. Um, which, I mean, I just like set off some light bulbs. I'm like, okay, you know, okay, this is a great different way of looking at portable first, not just mobile first. Cause we keep thinking of just mobile, build it for a phone and it'll rank on desktop, right? Or whatever. What yeah. is portable first? What's the difference? And then I'm going to ask you why technical SEO still matters. <laughs> Jim knows that one's coming. But let's start with what's portable. What's your ideas behind portable first as opposed to mobile first? Right. So, so one of the important parts of the talk was in the beginning, I kind of defined the terms and broke down mobile first indexing word by word. And what I talked about was that mobile anymore has kind of lost its meaning because people are using the word mobile to describe anything that's not a desktop or a laptop. They're saying that a web enabled fridge is mobile when it's clearly not something you can put in your pocket or your purse. Um, and so it, it does seem very much like Google is pushing hard for content to be more accessible uh, from the cloud and for Google to be more of a presentation layer where Google is saying, uh, don't necessarily build for a specific browser, tablet, computer, device, use case, because those are going to keep expanding and expanding. What you need to do is put your content in a clean, kind of less formatted version available from the cloud, and we'll help you represent it wherever it goes. Uh, and we see that happening with app in app uh, kinds of scenarios where um, things like Android Auto is pulling in other apps uh, and stuff like that. Uh, so they need to be able to separate, really separate um, the content from design, but that that kind of should be like setting off some light bulbs for SEOs who didn't hear the talk because separating content from design obviously makes it way easier to um, get the meaty part for like for the crawler to get just the meaty part that they want and ignore all the rest of the junk code that they might or might not be able to crawl or might be legacy or whatever. Okay, so so I, I may be using this word incorrectly or improperly, but what will the website of the future, how will it, how will it be built? I think the web website of the future may be less of a site, and it's more like a cloud-hosted database that's presented and represented in a bunch of different contexts with and without a browser. Because if you think about Google Actions, Google Actions have a visual interface, but to make a complete action, you also have to have the, the voice-only interface. And I think when you separate content from design, then Google has all the voice engines and whatever that can turn your text in and turn menus and you know uh, forms into a voice experience. So the so design the um, the aesthetic of the page um, the exact layout and choice of color and font and size and all that is a dying art. It's like it's like window dressing for uh, for department stores. It's potentially a dying art. I don't think it's ever going to fully die, but I th it's a changing art certainly because I think um, you know even with like a something like a PWA where you have the app manifest and you're setting the colors and the logos and stuff like that, it's just becoming less concrete and more fluid where you can still set your favorite colors or you know set up the brand colors and set up brand guidelines and stuff like that, but you just have to do it knowing that it'll be used this way in one instance and another way potentially in another instance. Well, there, I mean, like, in 
in the what's your timeline first off when when, when, you, when you're envisioning this this uh, data this database driven world what is this timeline uh, a year two years what are you figuring well, I mean, it's already happening to a large degree. If you do searches um, on your phone right now, a lot of the position zero content is already coming directly from Google, either Google hosted content or feeds that people are sending directly to Google. And remember, feeds aren't websites. Feeds are just the, the juicy bits. So they're taking it, think about like a search for the weather. Um, they're, they're taking weather information and representing it all over the place in all of their apps, including as a voice action or as a Google assistant inter interaction where you say, what's the weather today? What's the weather tomorrow? Um, what's the weather this weekend? You know, the, the, the infamous little man in my stomach is pounding away going, how do we monetize all this? Like seriously, inf information gathering is, is all about selling soap, right? Always has been. Um, there doesn't seem to be a lot of room to uh, to put advertisements for soap around here. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're thinking only about advertisements potentially, but you know, for businesses, in some ways, this is actually you know potentially great for them. And in a lot of ways, I think um, making sure that they're able to complete a sale without a website is an easy way to make their product available. Um, if you're in e-commerce or if you're um, a services-based company, um, like Lyft is an example that I like to talk about a lot. Lyft is a company that, you know, you might have said in the past would make a great website. Um, they might be an app, um, but Lyft is really an API. Lyft is able to complete transactions in many different platforms via voice potentially, but also they can plug into Starbucks's interface, they can plug into Google Maps, they can plug into all sorts of different experiences and they can get people to use their service and pay for their service without actually having to touch their website or their native app. Um, and so in that way, it sort of cuts down on the friction for some of those businesses that are really pushing for this. No, okay, I've got a question. Actually, I'd asked Jim, like, are you just trying to get more soap sold? Do you have more soap boxes to stand on? But we'll, we'll leave that as an aside for now. Um, let's talk about the, the, the sort of dark side of this thing, because you list a great example, like Lyft winning this game, right? Because, because they, they are working within the system. But a question I've always had, and is there a solution to this? In this world where it's all APIs, in this world where Google's just giving weather, to, to list the example that's already been used, who creates this content now, right? Like who, who creates the content if Google's just taking it and there's no monetization of it after that? How, how do we maintain good content? Well, it seems like a lot of the time it's the first person to, or the first company to make their content easy to digest and represent. So if you have, let's say that, that you have a product or service that doesn't have a one box or an answer or any kind of Google position zero experience, if you put it into an API, um, then you're getting brand recognition and potentially the studies show still click through. So for instance, at MozCon, someone came up to me and asked me about um, an internet security thing and said, well, what, you know, we sell internet security software. What are we going to do? And I said, you know, I've never seen a really great, like, kind of weather report type thing for how safe is the internet today, but we know that those things exist somewhere and maybe it just needs to be in a feed. Um, and then you're at least getting 
the position zero ranking, you're becoming the expert and people can get to your site and know who you are. Um, but the trick is to do it before Google does it themselves. If you do the job and give it to them, then you get the, the position zero. But if no one does it, then Google's just going to do it themselves. This, this, this may be a dumb question, but in the long run, isn't Google cutting, their, cutting its own throat going Maybe. down this path? Yeah, maybe. I mean, to some degree, it's turning into old school Yahoo homepage where they're trying to be everything to everyone. Well, and it's because they don't have anything more to offer in the, uh, than than um, uh, scraped content and and like one box answers. In the long run, if they eliminate the ten blue links and which will force them to eliminate a number of the advertisements and the adwords uh, just to meet the smaller screen, where are they making money? Yeah, it's true. I mean, they're taking a cut of all the sales. That's so. Instead of taking a cut of the uh, ads or or whatever, earning the money on the the PPC AdWords model, Google's wanting you to send product feeds. So that and then they'll process it with Google Wallet, and you can do it, you know, by voice or what have you. Um, and get it all more directly rather than just being an ad platform. They want to be the sales platform. You know, sometimes I wonder in, in the little conspiracy theory uh, brain that I have, if characters like Peter Thiel actually get along with Larry and Sergey, and if they do, or I'm sorry, assuming that they don't, because they seem to have diametrically opposed worldviews, will PayPal try to stomp on Google Wallet? Um, I always have this like fantasy in my head with a big behemoth fight it out and leave us to figure out and translate the pieces because heaven knows uh, journalists love drama. So what do you think? Is that gonna happen? <laughs> maybe. Uh, it, maybe it'll be, you know, a death match in the ring, but maybe it'll just be an acquisition or a merger or an API. That's really the future is if you can turn it into an API, then you're not limiting people to one platform or another as long as you're creating the platform that accepts the most APIs. So my guess would be that Google Wallet will start to incorporate some PayPal API as well as an Apple Wallet API if Apple ever, you know, had the humility to work with Google. Um, we'll see. But the, the key is going to be to um, incorporating APIs from others and um, making your content available in an API for use by others. No, we, I, and I'll, oh, sorry, oh, I, please go for it. <laughs> I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll indulge the, the conspiracy theory uh, but but I think actually to me the more interesting battle for PayPal is is not one between PayPal and uh, Google or uh, Samsung Pay or any of that, um, but it's with Amazon, which I think is like the sneakiest PayPal competitor of all time in the way that uh, I'm seeing more and more businesses allow consumers to pay with their Amazon account um, alongside that pay with PayPal button, and it is fantastically quick. Um, I think that Amazon built their one-click payment system for a reason, and it's really easy when that's implemented to buy products through Amazon. And I think that they're probably cutting out a lot of the um, PayPal consumers that might have otherwise gone through their PayPal account in the past. If you're a prime well, person, that Amazon Pay is just fantastic. And they're cutting out a lot of Google searches, too. We know that Google's terrified of Amazon because people aren't even going to Google for product searches anymore. They're starting on Amazon. 
Yeah, we've been we've actually we've been talking a lot about Amazon in the last the last few months on Webcology and the the behemoth. Like we always thought it was another search engine that threatened Google, but as it turns yeah, out, no. it's a new way of doing things that threatens Google. Yeah, and with all of the competition on immediate delivery or hour within the hour delivery and stuff like that, and with Amazon buying Whole Foods, yeah. I mean, that's huge. Uh, why do we even have to leave the house anymore if I can have my groceries and everything delivered? Um, if your employment doesn't require you to leave the house, it's a good question. Why would anybody do that? <laughs> now, there are people out there. It's very people out there. I, I think that's where we need uh, we need the Fitbit, Cindy. <laughs> because I'll get you out because 10,000 paces in your house is not going to be exciting. Well, yeah, we, we need to gamify... We need to gamify <laughs> everything just to get people motivated to do something, eh? Yeah. <laughs> um, something I admit, and Dave, I'm glad you brought up the Fitbit because it's an example. Um, communicating, the, the, the business that we're in is all about getting information to people one way or another. And we keep, from the technical and, and uh, marketing end of it, we always look at delivery mechanism. We look at like the search engine or the shopping engine or Amazon or wherever the information's appearing. And we rarely talk about the devices that it's appearing on themselves. Uh, Cindy and Emily, do you have any insights onto where the devices themselves are going? Well, I think Cindy touched on this a little bit, but we're definitely seeing a sort of diverse range of devices, devices with screens, without screens, that use a voice UI, that use a visual UI, and everything in between. Um, and I think that, you know, one of the interesting plays that Google made this year at Google I.O. that not a lot of people are talking about is that they decided to package up their Google Assistant platform as an SDK, um, something that could be integrated into any sort of connected device um, mm -hmm. so that the idea being that you might have a singular kind of interface um, that can control multiple different devices. Um, and that, of course, would work great for Google if they can sort of be the monopoly on that interface or be the monopoly on that operating system, so to speak, um, that people interact with when they want to use a device that may not be so traditional. Uh, okay, so I think that there's a bit of that. Um, so oh, your ahead. fridge is using the same operating system as your as your uh, mobile device, your phone. It could. But the fridge itself, since it weighs like, you know, what, what, 400 pounds, isn't a mobile device. Right. Or, I mean, but I think that that idea of what is mobile is constantly changing. I mean, the, the interesting thing that I think we... We struggle with sometimes when we talk about analytics and reporting is is segmenting things like mobile and tablet and desktop. Um, and in so many ways, a lot of our devices these days are somewhere in between a lot of those things. Um, I can tell you that you know if you've been watching the advertisements for the Surface tablet and if you've been watching Apple's advertisements for iPads, especially the iPad Pro. They're trying to advertise tablets now as desktop or laptop replacement. And so that line really does get blurred. And because a lot of these devices are as powerful as laptops used to be or have been historically, um, what I think we see is that a lot of people are using these devices maybe as desktop replacements. 
Um, and then the other sort of side of this too is that a lot of the handset producers, a lot of the smartphone producers are now coming up with ways where you can sort of project your smartphone into an external monitor or onto a television or onto a larger screen. And so this idea of something being mobile is kind of an interesting touch point. Does it mean that it's small? Does it mean that I can move it? Um, and even if I can, is my use case really going to be consistent? Because if I'm using the smartphone user agent, but I'm projecting my screen onto a television in that use case, that's a very different use case than if I am sitting in a train and, and using my phone between my hands. Um, and so that's kind of, I think, you know, where we are going to run into problems is um, in order to really segment users in this sort of era, it actually seems to depend less on what type of device they're using and more about the context that they're using it, what kinds of screens they're using it on, um, and and things like that um, that are going to, I think, really sort of tell us more about who these users are and, and what's going on with them in their lives than, you know, are they are they using a small phone or are they using a laptop computer? Those lines are blurring more and more. Okay, uh, we have to grow to a commercial. Cindy, you want you want to get something quick in? Well, just the idea that the Fitbit and the fridge uh, kind of bring in the API idea. Hmm? So that I can say, hey, Google, how many steps have I had today or how many steps have I done today? Um, if that's not in the cloud, Google can't do it. That's all. Okay. So the, the device makers have to make that information available in the cloud. And then there's a whole privacy thing, that that, that ha river that has to be crossed there. But before we cross any of that, we got to take a break here on Webcology on cranberry.fm. It's the 3rd of August, 2017. Uh, this is Jim Hedron, Digital Always Media, Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing. We're joined by Cindy Crum and Emily Grossman from Mobile Moxie, and we're all back after these messages. Sit tight and don't move. Webcology. We'll be back after this short break. Oh my God. Is your website hacked? Is your website displaying error messages or loading slowly? Even if there are no signs of malicious activity, your site may still be compromised. Websites, like cars, require regular maintenance to perform at their best and not leave you stranded. At Fjorge, our website maintenance experts can help you assess which one of our maintenance plans will best support your needs. Visit FjorgeDigital.com or call 612-877-3840 and get the support and protection your website and business deserve. That's F-J-O-R-G-E Digital.com. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. Online anytime. This is Cranberry Radio. Cranberry.fm. <laughs> Web. 
Webcology takes you into the deepest, darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Here are the hosts, Jim Hetcher and Dave Davis. Hey everyone, welcome back to Web College here on Cranberry.fm. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media and Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing. And friends, if I suddenly vanish, it's because the Thunderheads are clapping over North Toronto right now. And I uh, I think we, we might have a blackout any second. But I'm, but I'm still on the air. So we're joined by Cindy <laughs> and Emily <laughs> from uh, Mobile Moxie. Um, we were talking about... Uh, port- we were talking about the difference between you know the portable devices, mobile devices, uh, the mobile world, and the portable world, and data up in the cloud. If this whole um, mobile first, Cindy, as, as you described the you know how Google is going to be grabbing information to be you know providing uh, the, the best answer to any given query. It'll have to be grabbing it out of the cloud. Um, a lot of that information is very personal information. Um, Dave quipped uh, in uh, it, while we were on break that if he lived in the states, he'd hire somebody to wear his Fitbit and run around just in case his insurance company got that that information out of the cloud. Um, how how will the gap between personal privacy and the necessity of having open data be bridged? It's tough. I mean, Emily can say more about this, but but what we know is that Apple is making a huge privacy play, um, trying to make that as the the key differentiator. Okay. So yeah, and I and I think it's interesting, and it's something that we've seen come up before, particularly around um, uh, around personalized search, um, certainly. And the the way that Apple's gone about this is in a super privacy-focused way. Um, they will certainly tell you as a user information um, about your personal activity if you opt into that and you are sort of well-informed in advance that you're, you know, get, giving inf- getting information from Apple about your activity um, that Apple is not sharing necessarily with other people. And, and they are trying to really push on this sort of privacy um, privacy for users push, but also privacy for developers. Um, so when they describe a lot of how they're collecting user information from apps to um, have available for developers to query or to show to users in something like Spotlight Search. Apple's being very, very clear that they're not um, interested in having any sort of um, data leaks or having anything um, that is really private to the user being available to other users um, or even to other apps, of course. Um, so I think that that's a really interesting play. Google's, I think, struggled with this more in that they have they have definitely played around with this idea of personal content indexing. And in some cases, they've been more successful than others. Um, With app indexing now, we can do personalized content indexing on Android devices through the autocomplete function. Um, And there's a certain amount of that that I think Google's trying to keep separate and really label for users as something that's super private. So in those app indexing contexts with private information, they'll try and tell you explicitly, this is something that's on your phone. And they're trying to tell users that we got this because it's on your phone. Um, We see emails that are marked up with schema, populating personalized searches. 
in Google, um, like you might see with my flights or things like that, or uh, my reservations, um, information that Google knows about you because of your Gmail account. They're mm -hmm. trying to now label that in the search result with maybe a picture of you, your your avatar, and it'll say only you can see this. And, and they're, I think they're trying to be really, really explicit about it because people just don't trust Google in that same way. Um, it kind of feels creepy. Um, I think even, even for search marketers, um, where maybe we know how this stuff is happening, um, it can kind of still cross that creepy threshold. Whereas oh my goodness, way, I, I should think, hope it does. <laughs> yeah, but I, but I think that, I mean, but this is an interesting play for Apple because I don't think that they've had to deal with that creepy threshold quite as much. Um, and I think that they are building off of that sort of brand as knowing that they're a brand that has historically valued privacy and security and are trying to really sort of push that as a differentiator between being on their platform versus being on, say, the Android platform um, or working with Google um, I think that that is a smart marketing play for Apple too. Um, this idea that, you know, yeah, you'll pay us a lot of money for our products and services, but we're not going to use your data um, in the same well, way that Google might. I, I just might, I just might say here, uh, Tim Cook, you owe me five bucks. It didn't work <laughs> for BlackBerry. They tried that. BlackBerry tried that. It didn't work for them. What's interesting too is how much privacy has already been lost in terms of the opting in with apps to listening. Um, we know that the apps, things like even Twitter and Facebook are listening to our conversations and changing the ads that we get based on the things that they hear. Um, and I think people don't, uh, people who aren't in the tech community don't separate out Facebook, Twitter, um, and other kinds of uh, companies like that from Google. They say it's all the Google, right? Or it's all. You've <laughs> <laughs> been talking to my mom again. <laughs> <laughs> I, on that note, too, I think it's really interesting. I saw an article come out recently that talked about um, the ways in which apps can listen to us. Um, it, it may not even be as as obvious anymore because I think we always used to look and see, you know, as an app requesting access to our microphone um, or our video. Um, and, and that was sort of a way of determining whether or not they might be trying to use that information to understand more about us. Um, but I saw an article come out recently that said that they can actually even um, use the gyroscope now to interpret um, what people are saying. And, and that was just like fascinating to me that this notion that um, they're going to probably be able to extrapolate tons and tons of more information from some of these um, smartphone device features that we don't even know about. Um, and, it, and it will become less and less obvious to us, I think, which products or services or apps or devices are, are actually able to sort of peek into our lives without reading through all of the dense terms of surface. <laughs> now, I know we only have a couple minutes left, but I'm going to circle us back for just a second and, and away from privacy, back to the first segment that we were talking in. Um, we got some great information. We understand a little more about portable and, and, and all that sort of stuff, but information without strategy is kind of, kind of useless. So what do we do with that? Like, what, what's our action item? How do we prepare for a future where it's not mobile first? I don't just have to, like, build it for my phone and know that I'm going to be okay. What do I do? Well, if you're, make sure that all of the mobile friendly stuff is done. I'm not disagreeing that mobile friendly stuff is important. I'm just saying it's not the, the core of this update. 
So do that, but then go in and really pay a lot of attention to schema because schema is something that helps Google do its job more efficiently. Um, and, and we're thinking that schema may, may be something that's going to move to a separate external file, like a sitemap file, so that Google doesn't even have to necessarily um, crawl through your code at all, except for maybe to vet it for spammy stuff. That would be helpful on our end, by the way. That would be yeah. helpful. Well, I mean, the main point, one of the main points is that 90% of the world's data was created in the past two years, and Google wants to index and help organize the world's data. And so crawling is just inefficient. So anything you can do to, be, to make crawling more efficient is going to be helpful. So that says schema, feeds, hosting with Google so they don't have to crawl it at all, hosting in Firebase, and then they get the engagement data too, um, and they know what's really popular and how, how long people are spending on it. Um, all of that stuff means that Google can rely less on crawling and more on just ingesting and, and surfacing information, which is their ideal. Um, so make schema, make really great sitemaps, and if you can, make APIs into your databases. Great advice. Great advice. Jim, do you, you know what? I guess I think we have like two minutes left, maybe even one at this point. Are there any parting words um, that, that either of you have on, on what we can look forward to in the future? Yeah, throw this to Cindy and Emily. Emily. Yeah, yeah so, so I guess um, my, sort of my feeling, and, and this kind of harks back to, to key takeaways from MothCon too, I guess, is um, is I think that Rand is sort of starting to touch on this a little bit too, but this notion that you know, you have to sort of maybe prepare for for a world where it's possible that that Google's not going to send loads of people to your website where you can monetize off of ads in this sort of like traditional website way. Um, and to be able to sort of prepare for that world, I think, like Cindy said, um, being able to take the value of what you offer and put it into something like an API so that it can be translated into a variety of different content formats on a variety of different platforms can be super, super powerful. So to go back to that Lyft example, you know, if Lyft gets no referral traffic from Google um, tomorrow, they have other ways of making sure that they can get their services in front of people. Um, and it's easy for them to do that because they've put their service in a way that's easily ingestible. I mean, if the, the future of the web turns out to be Starbucks's native app, Lyft would be ready for that. But I would say that not many publishers probably are. Um, so I think that preparing for this world where your content or your website or your information and your services and your offering isn't a website, um, but might be web-based, um, is something that businesses should start to think about now. Okay, I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it at that. Uh, Cindy and Emily, thank you so much for dropping by again. Uh, we have to have you back in back on Webcology soon. Friends, you've been listening to Webcology on Cranberry.fm on the 3rd of August, 2017. Summer's almost gone. Get outside, you little buggers, or you'll regret it. Uh, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media, Dave Davies from Beatsong Internet Marketing. Stick around, Cranberry.fm. Great content coming up after the news, and we'll talk to you next week. opinions expressed are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of Cranberry News Marketing and Cranberry.fm. Rebroadcasts or retransmission of this content without proper consent is prohibited. 